Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Strong in Suffering Sermon Series, which goes through the book of 1 Peter. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Tonight, we're going to give you one more statement, another one, and it's this. Perspective affects priorities. Perspective affects priorities. Another way of saying this is how I view something, how I view something changes what I do with it. Everybody knows that. You say, what's the uh, thought? Here we go. If I, if I were to call up little Adeline back there, and if I, I won't right now, but if I were to call little Addie up there, back up here, and I were to call her up, and I were to call Miss Beth up, both of them come up, and they, they were to help me. If I were to do that, if I gave Miss Beth a hundred dollar bill. She's like, call me up. <laughs> and if I gave Adeline a hundred dollar bill, who would know what to do with it? Miss Beth would. <laughs> Grandpa would. He <laughs> said, I would. <laughs> Robert's like, Dad would. Uh, you know what? A child's perspective of money, it's not highly valued, right? A child's going to look at a hundred dollar bill, and you know what Adeline said? She'd say, Pastor Candy. She'd put, the, she'd put the $100 bill down and go, Pastor Candy. Here, can I have a piece of candy? You know what? That perspective changes how you approach something. It changes the decisions. It changes your priorities with money. Beth isn't going to take that $100 bill and wad it up and throw it down. Now, she might be a smart aleck to me, but uh, she's not going to do, do that. You know what she's going to do? She's going to take that $100 bill and she's going to begin thinking, what do I need this for? What could I use this for? How can I spend, how could I spend this money? That her perspective changes, changes her priorities. You think about it regarding any area of life, your clothes. Uh, a, um, a 10-year-old doesn't value clothes very highly. Um, Micah is in here, and I love Micah, but Micah comes home with holes and dirt, and there's just marks on his clothes that I'm like, where did you, did you get hit by a car? What did you do? And, but there's times when he'll be out and he has those clothes. He was real, last night, he, he went and he took a bath yesterday morning or yesterday afternoon. And then we're outside watching fireworks last night. And I look over and he's rolling in the dirt. And he was like, I fell, you know, and there's, he's just dirt covered, covering those clean clothes and everything. You know what? His perspective about those clothes is, hey, I can get new ones. But when you're like a big person, you have certain clothes for certain things, don't you? I'm, I've already said this. I, I'm, I enjoy shoes. I, I, have, I have very many shoes, and I'm, and I'm fine with that. Um, I won't tell you how many pairs I have. Ask Danny. I think he got it out of me last week. Uh, you know what? My shoes I view differently than most people do. You ever walk up and step on my shoe, usually I'm backing up. And I'm doing this all the time, man. Don't, don't mess with the shoes. My perspective of now, some of you are going to come up and start stepping on my shoes tonight. Shouldn't have said it. Here's the thought, and I think you already get it. My perspective affects my priorities. How I view something, it changes the decisions. It changes what I do with it. And tonight, what we're going to look at is the fact that how we view, when, when we have the right perspective of suffering, When our perspective of suffering is correct, it will affect our priorities through suffering. 
I'm going to say it again, that when, we, when our perspective of suffering is correct, it affects our priorities through suffering. And I think this is one of the goals of Peter, and so uh, as he writes tonight. So let's go to 1 Peter chapter number 4, and stand with me if you would. Let's go to verse number 12, and we're going to uh, uh, just read verse 12 down through the end of the chapter, and then we'll get into this thought tonight of perspective, perspective affects priorities. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 12, it says this, Beloved, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of the suffering of, of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you, let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, because of all of this, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. And I, after studying, I have fallen in love with verse number 19. I want to read it again. I want you to see it because we're going to spend the majority of our time here at the end of the message in verse 19. But I want you to see it where Peter says this, Wherefore, let him, let, excuse me, wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Perspective affects priorities. If I have the right perspective about my suffering, it will change my priorities through my suffering. Peter's gonna get this to, across to us tonight, I hope. And so let's pray and ask the Lord for his help. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you take a minute and just ask the Lord to speak into your heart tonight. Ask him to teach you something tonight. Ask him to arrest your attention tonight. And then make a commitment. God, if you speak to me, I'm listening to you. And I'll make a decision tonight based on how you speak to me. Dear Lord, thank you for the day. Thank you for this morning's service. Thank you, Lord, for the challenge out of 1 Samuel 26 and those four lessons. Thank you, God, for the passage before us tonight. And Lord, I know that uh, God, I, I'm excited about this passage. I've learned, and Father, I want to be a help to your people tonight. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use your words and your spirit through me. God, I yield to you, and I pray that you would help us to, exact, to hear exactly what you want us to hear tonight and speak to us in the way that only you can. We love you, God, and we thank you for your love for us. We pray that you would, again, bless our time. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You go ahead and be seated. 
As we start tonight, I want us to take a minute and I want us to talk about perspective in suffering. Having the right perspective or some perspectives in suffering. The first perspective I want to look at tonight that I see in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 14 is my perspective in suffering. What should, what should your perspective and my perspective be when we go through suffering? Notice these verses Peter writes. He says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. See that first word there, the first word, beloved. I love how Peter writes because I don't think that uh, Peter, before the cross, I don't think Peter was calling a lot of people beloved. Uh, he called him, he would probably call himself beloved. Uh, Peter, remember, often we look at Peter as the open mouth, insert foot disciple, you know, that he just kind of, every now and then he would get, a, get something right. But most of the time the Lord was rebuking Peter. Like, what are you thinking, man? But here he is, he's writing to these people. Why would he say beloved? Because what he's about to say, what Peter is about to say is a hard saying. Well, what's so hard about it? Hey, don't think it's strange when you have trials. Now, that's interesting. That word strange, we'll go back to some of the verses, but the word strange here, it means foreign, out of culture, or abnormal to me. That's what the word strange means. Now, here's why that's interesting. If you've ever traveled or been out of the country, have you ever been to another culture and they do some things that's a little bit different than what you're accustomed to? <laughs> all, of, all of us who were in Israel a couple years ago when, I, when we went for the first time, uh, <clears throat> one of the very first things, and Hannah and I were talking about it the other day when, we were looking at the, when I was looking at this, uh, this word, one of the very first things that's very strange to me culturally is a lot of the Middle Eastern cultures, they just yell at each other. They do. They, I, I, I have a friend, a very close friend, uh, who's Egyptian and from that Middle Eastern culture. And in college, I was always like, dude, why do you yell at people all the time? Why are you so rude? And he'd be like, I'm not rude, man. You just need to grow up. You know, he just, and I'm like, whoa, okay, all right. Well, when we went over there, all the bus drivers, all the bus drivers, I mean, they're fitting those buses, aren't they, Miss Sydney? They're fitting those buses in, I mean, in the aisle, they're fitting, you know, a, a 54-passenger bus down that. I have no idea, you know. But they're coming within inches of cars and other buses and trucks and all these things. And you know what they're doing all the time? They're honking at each other with the window open and just yelling up a storm. And they're yelling in Arabic, just probably cursing each other out. I mean, they're just going, they're just, get off the road, you know. And they're just, blah, 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 just going crazy. And everybody on the bus is like, and then you watch the other bus go by, and it's close, and the, that driver's still yelling, and your driver's yelling, and it's just continuing. And I'm not, I, you can ask any of the ones that have gone to Israel with us. I'm not exaggerating to say that most of our bus rides in a city consisted of the driver just yelling. And then we would get to a stop, and the very driver that he was yelling at, they're sitting down drinking a cup of coffee together. The two bus drivers that were yelling at each other at the next stop they're like sitting there like, hey, how's the wife and kids? You know, drinking, drinking their coffee. And I, to me, listen, that was strange. It's abnormal. Why? Because it's out of my culture. My, me, Dennis, who's been raised in the U.S., uh, raised in the Midwest, and then in, the, uh, in Washington State, to me, that, that's abnormal. When I got back, I called my friend, and I was like, dude, you make so much sense to me now. Like, I get you. 
Why? Because I, I had to be picked up from my culture and set in that culture. Here's what Peter is saying. Hey, don't think that it's foreign to a Christian. It's not out of your culture to go through trials. That's, that's what he's saying. Don't think it's strange. Don't think it out of culture uh, to go through trials. Notice how he continues. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Hey, don't think that some foreign thing is taking place in your life, but instead rejoice. Peter, that's hard. It's hard to go through suffering, the fiery trial right there. That's a connection to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 7. Do you remember what 1 Peter 1, 7 said? Look at 1 Peter 1, 7, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found in the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. When you look at, at what Peter is getting at, he's, of course, he's been writing about this a lot. But he's saying, hey, when a believer goes through a trial, it's gonna be like you're in the fire. It would be as a um, precious gem, going through the refiner's fire. And, you know, gold, when you put gold in the refiner's fire, the impurities float to the top and are scraped off, and that way that gold can be uh, uh, purified. But what does it have to do? It has to be put to a fiery trial. That's the same phrase. So here's what Peter's saying. Hey, don't think that it's abnormal when your life is put into the flames. Don't think... You don't deserve it. Let's be honest. All of us, when we go through trials, what do we do? We think we don't deserve it. Yeah. We go, God, why me? Like, Lord, don't you, Lord, don't you see that I was, God, I, I know you see it, but Lord, I, God, why are you, and we begin doing, don't we? Maybe you're not like that. I'm, maybe I'm just speaking for me, but I know I'm like that. When I go through a trial, I'm asking God why. And there's nothing wrong with asking God why as long as the motive comes back to, but God, I'll trust you. But often the motive comes back to, God, I don't know why you're doing this. I think you don't know why you're doing this either. God, I don't know why you've allowed this, and I think you don't know why you've allowed this either. That's what Peter is saying. Hey, don't do that. Don't think it's abnormal. Listen, for a Christian to go through suffering, it is culturally in context. Your suffering is You're going to go a human being and especially a child of God. You're going to go through that fiery trial, which is to try you. Hey, don't, don't look at it as though some strange thing happened unto you. But instead, he says, instead, I want you to rejoice. Rejoice. Well, why should I rejoice? Rejoice in as much that ye are partakers, you're partakers of Christ's suffering. What he's saying, this rejoice right here, I love the word rejoice. In the Greek written here, it means to greet with gladness as in seeing a new friend or, or seeing an old friend. You ever seen somebody you haven't seen in a while? Man, if you were close friends, it's not, hey, how you doing? Hey, good to see you. Hey, I'm glad you're here. Man, if you get to see somebody, uh, little Lena, their, their cousins are in town right now, and tonight they got to see each other right before church, and I was upstairs, and I heard, ah, you know, and I heard, I'm so excited, you know, and I heard them all seeing each other. Well, why? They're old friends. Man, I'm excited to see you. That's the type of, re 
This is crazy. That's the type of rejoicing we're supposed to have in suffering. Wow! Yes! I'm so glad you're... Yeah, right. Type of rejoicing I have is when suffering is on its way out the door. Yeah, glad to see you go. You know, I'm glad to give you a swift kick in the pants and get out. But that's not what Peter's saying. He's not saying, hey, be, rejoice when suffering's gone. He's saying, hey, when you, face re, when you face suffering, don't think it's abnormal out of the culture as a Christian. No, instead, greet it like you would an old friend. Man, rejoice in it. Why? Why can I rejoice? This is great. Don't miss it. We'll see it more in just a second. I'll preach on it. Why can I rejoice? Rejoice in as much that you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. You know what he's saying? Hey, you are having fellowship with God. You are in fellowship with Jesus because he suffered and you're suffering. And so that brings into you uh, much reason to rejoice. Here's what Peter is saying. I mean, he's saying you and I, instead of, instead of complaining through suffering, I rejoice in suffering. Well, why, how can I do that, Peter? He says, because there's a fellowship and you're a partaker. You're, a, you're in a fellowship or you're, you're sharing. There's a certain commonality between your suffering and Christ's suffering. And it's as if when you're suffering, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm here with you. I've been in that position. I have seen that. I have felt that. Well, what happens when I do that? The next verse, notice, it says that, or so that, his glory shall be revealed. Hey, so that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. When his glory is revealed, this is saying that you and I, we will one day, if we can rejoice through suffering, there will be a time. Man, when we're able to stand before and we're able to just rejoice in glorifying the Lord. Because of how we endured in suffering. But notice verse number 14. Verse number 14 of 1 Peter 4. It says, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. That word reproached means verbally rebuked. If, you be, if you're verbally rebuked, if you are uh, verbally upbraided or slandered or verbally assaulted because of being a Christian, hey, happy are ye. Rejoice, rejoice even more. Blessed are ye. This is crazy. I mean, really, you think about it, this is all crazy talk, isn't it? Hey, when suffering comes, don't think it's strange. When suffering comes, instead, rejoice like you're greeting a new friend. Hey, if people make fun of you, you're blessed. If they make fun of you for being a Christian, you're blessed. I mean, if I'm reading this as a first century Christian, reading Peter writing this, I'm thinking, Peter, dude, do you even, he's lost it. Peter's lost his mind. But Peter hasn't lost his mind. Notice verse number 14 again. Here's why one of the reasons you're happy. I love it. For or because the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, on those persecutors' part, he's evil spoken of. But on your part, he's glorified. Here's what Peter's saying. Hey, listen. If you go through suffering, you can rejoice. Why? Because you have fellowship with Jesus in suffering. But also, you can know that the Spirit of God rests on you. That phrase, the Spirit of God, or the Spirit of, um, there are what it says, I'm going to read it right there, the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. The word resteth, it means is resting and refreshing. That's what, the, that's what the word means. So when you and I go through suffering, I can know God is working in this 
and God is gonna strengthen me through this. You see, Peter's coming back to grace again. He's coming back to strength again. You see, my perspective, and here's where I'm getting for this thought, is my perspective in suffering should be one of joy, not of shock. Right? Not, I don't deserve this. No, I look at suffering and I say, I can rejoice in this. Why? Because I'm suffering and I'm in fellowship with Jesus. And I know that his spirit is within me and upon me and it's going to work through me. Very quickly, we see my perspective in suffering. Notice others' perspective of my suffering. Others' perspective of my suffering. Other people. What, do, what should other people see when I go through suffering? I love it. Notice verse 15 and 16 and stay with me. We got a couple of words here that are awesome. Peter says this, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Peter right here, he addresses how other people view you and I going through suffering. Here's what he's saying, let none of you suffer as a murderer. That those phrase, the, the word as a, the phrase as a, usually it would just mean in like manner. That's what the word as would mean. And it holds that in this passage, but it even goes a little bit further. The phrase as a in this particular verse, multiple times, it means to howl or to cry forth. Now, that's interesting, but here's the connecting thought. Peter is saying, hey, when you go through suffering, don't suffer because of being a murderer. We've already talked about that. But he's saying, don't suffer as a murderer suffers. Don't let your voice cry out like a murderer cries out, or a thief cries out, or an evildoer cries out. Or a busybody cries out. Here's what the word as a means. In the same manner or for the same reason or, we, or it should be and and with the same response. So here's what he's saying. Think about this. When a murderer is convicted and they're going to jail, how does a murderer suffer? A murderer usually suffers by saying this. It's not my fault. It's their fault. It's not my fault. It's them. It's not him, it's not her, it's not me, it's, them, it's him, it's her, it's they're blaming others. Hey, don't go through suffering as a murderer, playing the blame game. How does a thief suffer? A thief, they blame their circumstances, right? A thief says, well, if I wasn't raised in that family, then I wouldn't have to. Well, if that job, didn't, if that job would have worked out, if that boss hadn't fired me, they blame circumstances. Peter's saying, hey, don't do that. Don't go through it as a thief, blaming. Don't do that. How does an evildoer suffer? An evildoer suffers, venge has uh, vengeance in their mind. Evil for evil. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get after you, you know, like David was a few weeks ago in, in uh, chapter 25 of 1 Samuel. An evildoer suffers saying, I'll get even. Peter's saying, hey, don't suffer as an evildoer and don't suffer as a busybody in other men's matters. How, is, how does a busybody in other men's matters suffer? Uh, busybody is someone who's always complaining and gossiping. Don't go through suffering with all of this complaining and gossiping. Yet, if any man suffer, let him suffer as a what? What's the, go back to verse number 16. Let him suffer as a Christian. 
hey, don't go through suffering and everybody looking at you saying, well, they're going through a lot, but boy, they sure complain about it. They're going through a lot. Boy, they're blaming other people about it. They go through a lot. They're blaming their circumstances. Man, they go through it. Don't let people look at you and say they're going through a lot, but instead you let people look at you and say they're going through a lot. They're suffering as a Christian. What's the phrase as a Christian mean? Like Christ. How did Jesus suffer? Who reviled, he reviled not again. When he was railed, he railed not. When they spoke evil upon him, he spoke blessing to them. Listen, Jesus suffered. Greatest example, 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 4, the beginning, for as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind. This is what Peter is getting at. When you go through suffering, don't think it's strange. Count it for joy. And when other people are watching you, let them see Jesus. On their end, he is evil spoken of. But on your end, he's glorified. Man, when you suffer for the Lord's sake and you remind people of Jesus, he is going to be glorified. Here's the thought. When, a believe, when others see a believer suffer, the believer's response should remind those watching of Christ. When people watch, they should say, Man, they remind me of Jesus. That's what Peter wrote to this early church. He's saying, hey, when you go through suffering, others' perspective of your suffering should point them to Christ. My perspective in suffering, other people's perspective in suffering. What is God's perspective of suffering? What is God's perspective of suffering? This is in verse 17 and 18. Now, these could be very confusing verses. And uh, Peter, I'll, I'll admit it, Peter is one of the most confusing um, authors, I think, to me. Because he, he puts in some analogies and things. You're like, Peter, where are you going with that? But I think it connects so well when we read it within context. So notice verse 17. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? I've always heard these verses kind of pulled out and used as a, uh, you know, everybody's going to get theirs. You'll stand before God someday and judgment must begin at the house of God. God's going to judge you and, and uh, what's going to be the end of them. That's partly correct. But let's take it in context, okay? Within the book of Peter, he's been talking about suffering, okay? He's been talking about the suffering of believers and going through it for knowing Christ and all of those things that we've already looked at. So notice what he talks about when he says the time of, uh, for the time has come. That phrase, time, the word time right there, it means season. The season has come that judgment. The word judgment, another word that we could use, could be the word of suffering or an outside judgment looking in. The time has come, and I'll read it this way. I've got it written down. For the time or the season has come that judgment, suffering, or the decision, the word judgment here, it means the decisions which one passes on the faults of others. I cast judgment. The time has come, the season has come, that the decisions that others can pass upon you will begin at the house or the family of God. And if it first begin at us, then what shall the end of them be that obey not the gospel? Here's what Peter's getting at. Hey, if you are going through some struggles right now and you're suffering, you've got to know that, notice the uh, wording, first begin at us, what shall the end of them be? 
He's saying right now, you and I, we are in suffering. It's a, it's a seasonal thing. The season has come that judgment is going to begin. Other people, they're going to be casting their decisions upon you. That's, it connects with the word reproach. You're going through something that's seasonal. If you're facing a judgment now that you think is hard, what do you think the end is going to be for those that don't believe? And then verse number 18, for if the righteous scarcely be saved, the word righteous there means, of course, followers of God or the right living. If the righteous scarcely be saved, scarcely means very rarely, be saved or rescued from suffering, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? Here's what he's saying. Hey, listen, if you as a righteous person, if you go through suffering on this earth, what do you think their suffering is going to be like in eternity? You know what Peter's doing? He's bringing out perspective from God, helping us understand, hey, your suffering, it is seasonal. It's just for a season, right? Isn't that what Paul wrote? If need be that for now, you're in manifold temptations and testing. Peter wrote it in the beginning, in the first part of his thing. Hey, there's a time, there's a season that you're gonna go through hardships. So all of these thoughts connect. It's not, it's not Peter saying, hey, God's, got, God's judging the house of God and now and he's gonna move on to the unsaved. It's him saying, hey, listen, if you, if you are going through a hard time right now, know that it's just for a short time. If the righteous are very rarely spared from suffering, what's, what do you think is going to happen to those? Uh, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Hey, how are they going to stand? Within the context, he's really saying, hey, God has a view on this. Hey, God's perspective is that your suffering is only seasonal. So we look tonight very quickly at the perspective of suffering. I want us to close with this, our priorities in suffering. Perspective affects priorities. If I have the right view of suffering, it's going to affect my priorities in suffering. I see three specific priorities that we have in suffering because of our perspective. If our perspective is right, it's going to line up with these. It's going to help us with these priorities. What should our priorities be in suffering? When I'm going through a hard time, what do I do? Number one, a priority to rejoice. We already talked about it briefly. But when you and I go through suffering, you know what the Lord says? Count it all joy. Paul wrote that. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Hey, count it joy, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And let patience have a perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Hey, here's what, here's what uh, James wrote it. Peter wrote it. Paul wrote it. When you go through suffering, you can rejoice. Think about all of the times in this passage, verse 13, but rejoice in as much. Speakable. Chapter 3, verse go through suffering, greatly rejoice. Chapter 1, verse 8, rejoice with joy unspeakable. Chapter 3, verse 14, if you suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye. One of the priorities of a believer during a time of suffering is to rejoice. But it's abnormal to rejoice in trials. It's abnormal to greet a trial like a long lost friend. That is something that can only happen when I find grace from God. We're going to look at that in just a couple of weeks, but Peter's helping us understand a priority to rejoice. Notice, secondly, a priority to glorify God. 
Did you see, and we won't take time to go back and do it, did you see how many times in there it said something about opportunity to glorify him? You have an opportunity to point to him. You have an opportunity uh, to glorify God, verse 16, glorify him on this behalf. Hey, glorify God when you go through trials. You have an opportunity to point to him, to call glory to him no matter what stage of life you're in. And you and I as a believer, we should have a desire to glorify God in the good and in the bad. In the good seasons of life and the bad seasons of life. Isn't it interesting that often when you're going through a hardship, well, let me rephrase it. When you're, when you're in a good time in life, it's easy to praise God. It's easy to glorify the Lord. Man, man got the job, got the raise at work, praise God. Man, glorify God, I got the raise, glorify God, I got the new job, glorify God, I got that house, glorify God, I got that car. Man, I'm being blessed, glorify God. But when you get fired, not too many people walk out going, man, glorify God. Man, praise the Lord, I lost my job today. Now, if you made some foolish decision on the job, there's a, this, that's, that's a different message. But if it's just layoffs happening or it's just at, totally out of your control, you know, Peter's saying, hey, you can still glorify God. Glorify him in good, glorify him in the bad. A priority to rejoice a priority to glorify. Man, we can praise God no matter what. David said it this way in Psalm 86, 12, the psalmist. I don't know if David wrote this one. I will praise thee, O Lord, my God, with all my heart. I will glorify thy name forevermore. Hey, I just have a heart. I'm gonna glorify him. A priority of a Christian during suffering. What should I do? Have a priority to rejoice. Have a priority to glorify God. And then thirdly and lastly tonight, have a priority to trust. This is where verse 19 comes in. We've always said it, whenever you see a wherefore, you look back and see what it's there for. You see a therefore or a wherefore, you say, hey, why is this here? It's because he's writing, hey, because of all of this, because of everything that I've said, I'm gonna give you a summary statement. And in chapter five, Peter is gonna, hey, because of all the suffering, because of uh, your, the need to rejoice and the need to not count it like a strange thing has happened unto you. Hey, because of all of this and the need to do all of these things, notice what he says. Because of this, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. He brings it down to us really at the base level. Hey, it's hard to not count it strange when you fall into suffering. Hey, it's hard to rejoice in suffering. It's hard to glorify God in suffering. It's hard to not suffer and complain about it. All of these things are hard, so you know what you need to do? You gotta trust God. But it's so much more than just trust God. Notice the word commit. Do you see the word commit in this? That word commit, it's a banking term. It means to deposit into. So I am depositing, committing, Something. Well, what am I committing? What are you depositing? And where am I depositing it? Here's what he's saying. You're going to take your soul, your life, and you're going to commit it. You're going to deposit the keeping of your soul into the bank of God. You're going to deposit it. And you know what? You're not going to do any withdrawals or transfers or exchanges or uh, cashier's checks. We're not doing any of that. 
No, I commit it like I would into a savings account that I'm never gonna touch. I just deposit my soul into the keeping of him. The keeping of him. Notice what it says, the keeping of their souls to him. Uh, Commit the keeping, deposit the keeping of your soul. I'm gonna say, God, you keep it. And I'm gonna do it with well-doing, in well-doing. I'm gonna keep, God, I'm going to continue doing the good things that I know to do. I'm gonna continue walking with you. God, I'm gonna continue seeking you. I've been reproached. I've been suffering. I've been going through a challenge. But God, I give it to you and I trust you. But then notice, he doesn't say just commit it to God. He says commit it to him as just like you're committing it. You're depositing it into the bank of the faithful creator. That is a cool statement. Because a creator of something, they designed it. A creator of something, they know the purpose of it. A creator of something, they know where it needs to go, what it needs to do, and why it needs to do it, and how it's going to happen. A creator is one who knows everything about their creation. And he's not just a creator, he's a faithful creator. And so here's what Peter is saying. Hey, it is hard to go through suffering. It is challenging to rejoice. It is difficult to not reproach. It is, it is uh, a hardship to not want to get even and to not complain. All of these things are hard, but you know how you can do it? You can do it by depositing your soul into the bank, the hands of your faithful creator. Hey, he knows. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows the hardship. He knows the suffering, whether it's by your hand or by somebody else's out of your control. God knows. And when it says according to the will of God, if it's out of your control, I mean, if, if you look at it and you're like, man, this situation, I have absolute, I, I cannot do anything. You can probably rest assured that it's still under his control. Matter of fact, it's not a probably. You can. Why? Because he's the faithful creator. And so if you're suffering and going through it and you know, listen, God, I can't do anything in this. Man, this is, this is God's will for this certain time of my life. Here's what, David is, or here's what Peter is saying. Hey, trust him. Hey, commit the keeping of your soul. Deposit your life into the bank of God because he's a faithful creator. Man, wow. That's crazy. You think about so many times in scripture that we're challenged with with this, I think about 1 Thessalonians 5.24. Here's what Paul wrote. Faithful is he who calleth you, who also will do it. Hey, listen, God is faithful. If he can, I love some of these thoughts, and I meant to post them, I didn't, but you can write a couple of these down. Thought is this, that if he can handle the universe, he's the creator. If he can handle the universe, he can handle your soul. One man said it this way, if he can handle everything, he can handle your thing. I love that one. Man, if he can make, you, you look about it, you think about it, think about creation. I mean, the world just going around and around and around and the sun and the planets and everything that takes place on that uh, huge level, but then all the way down to the molecular level. I mean, how your blood flows and how the air moves and uh, how photosynthesis takes place. I mean, all of the things in life. You know who holds all of it together? Peter wrote, or Paul wrote in Colossians, hey, he holds all of it together. It's all held up by him. 
And Jesus said in Matthew chapter number 6, if God will feed the fowls of the air, he's going to surely take care of his children. Man, if the psalmist wrote, if he can number the sand and number the, the hairs on your head, which for some might not be as many as it used to be, but if God can number the very hairs on your head, listen tonight, then you can know that God can handle your situation. But what we need to do is what we learned this morning. we got to step back and let God. Stop trying to be God in a situation. Stop trying to control a situation. No, I can commit, I can deposit the keeping of my soul into the bank of the faithful creator, knowing that if he can handle everything, then he can handle my little things. If he can handle the universe, he can handle my life. But for us control freaks, that's hard. I'm speaking for myself. Hannah and I were talking about it today. We were leaving church this morning. And I'm, I'm, I'll share this and we'll be done. I have a little bit of a negative side in the sense that I constantly see negative. Now, I'm, I don't think I'm a negative person. Sometimes I probably can be. But like this morning, you know, you have something that happens great at service. I'm like, oh, man, this happened. You know, we could have a huge, man, uh, Grace and John, you know, they joined this morning. Praise the Lord, man, we have someone joining. What a blessing, and everybody's excited about that. I'm like, man, I said this during the message. I, I'm such an idiot. Man, I, I, and we're leaving, and Hannah was like, honey, she, stop it. I'm thankful for a wife to remind me. You know what I can be sometimes? I can be a little controlling to say, well, it didn't, this didn't happen the way I think it should, and so I Man, we all do that in life. That's why this truth tonight is so hard. Don't count it strange. God, I don't like suffering. Rejoice? Like I'm greeting an old friend? What in the world? I don't want to do that. Not complain through suffering? Lord, that's not even in my nature. I'm a complainer, God. We begin to build up all of the, re all the reasons why we need to have our mindset in suffering. And here's what Peter is saying. Hey, when you go through suffering, God will give you grace. Because of that, you know what you can do? You can commit, you can deposit the keeping of your soul into the bank of the faithful creator. Every single person tonight, we need to know this, that Trials, suffering is truly inevitable. And tonight, Peter reminds us that if we can have a proper perspective about our suffering and our trials, it'll help us have the right priorities in our suffering. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.